continue our series on the seven churches, and today we are studying from Revelation 2, verses 18 to 29, which was read for us, uh, and we want to listen to the Spirit. As we've been going through this series, we're looking for these messages in a way that is very relevant to what we're going through today, uh, and we want to be asking the Lord, Lord, what are you speaking to me personally? But also, Lord, what are you speaking to, to us as a church, as Unionville Alliance Church? If you call Unionville Alliance Church your home, uh, if you're part of our uh, Unionville Alliance Church family, we want to be listening and asking the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to our church? What are you saying to us? And how are you speaking to us uh, in these days? Looking forward to seeing many of you tonight for our praise and prayer night. We're going to be doing this once every two months. And so I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, out for that. And I know it'll be a wonderful time where we can engage the Lord. Lord, in praise, in prayer, uh, in worship with songs as well. Now, as we've been looking at this series, we talked about how there's a similar format in all of these messages. There's a revelation of Jesus, there's a commendation of the good things or, and or a rebuke of the negative things. Then there's a, a remedy or a call to repentance. And finally, there's a judgment and or uh, a reward that's also uh, given. And so the church in Thyatira, it's, it's similar. Actually, this is the longest letter out of all of the seven uh, letters that are written to the churches. This is the longest one. And probably the city is the least known or the least important of all of the seven cities. It was a center of manufacturing and marketing. Uh, the significant feature of this city, which connects to a little bit to uh, what this letter is about, is that there were a number of what we would call trade unions or what they called guilds, right? And so basically you had people that were wool workers, linen workers, dye workers, uh, leather workers, tanners, potters, all of these different sort of uh, craftsmen, uh, all of these uh, different people that actually had in the trades field. And uh, they had something called these guilds that they would join together. And I'll, I'll speak a bit about that uh, in a moment. And so uh, there was one person actually uh, that we find out in the book of Acts, a lady named Lydia that Paul encounters, and she was actually from the city of Tyatira, and she was also, she was, was uh, a person that worked in the textile uh, industry, and so she was, the Bible says she was a worker in purple cloth or in dyed uh, materials, and so she's an example of a person that came out of Tyatira because of all of this uh, people in the trades. Now, the guilds were a little bit different than what we would understand. Nowadays, you know, if you're part of a trade union, you're protected with certain rights and people can't, you know, employers can't take advantage of you in certain regards and certain rights and responsibilities that you have. Now at that time, if you were part of a guild, it was, it was, you, you had to really be part of a guild because that was your livelihood. That was uh, where you actually found support, uh, retirement, if you got sick, to be able to support your family. Uh, in many ways, it was a social structure uh, that helped people in difficult times. But the catch to that, which we have to understand, uh, as I talked a little bit about last week, is that it wasn't just participating in one of these trade unions or in one of these guilds, but it was actually a worship experience. Because if you wanted to be part of one of these guilds, then you had to also worship one of these false gods. Right? And if you wanted to be part of these guilds, you actually had to uh, have a worship experience where you were giving your devotion to uh, a false god. And there was a lot of pressure uh, 
that that early church in Tyatira, they faced because now they had to decide and they had to figure out, should I stay faithful to what I've heard uh, with the word of God that was preached to me? But what about my livelihood? What about what I need to be able to do in the world to earn some money? And I need to be part of this association. I need to be part of this, this connection, this union, or this trade guilds. If, I, if I'm not, then what happens if one of my children gets sick? What happens when I retire? What happens when, if something happens? What about the support system that I actually need? And unfortunately, the people there, they were under this, this, this pressure. There was this difficulty that they actually had to deal with. There were pagan religious practices that were criterias for them to enter into these guilds. And, and, and it was a worship experience for them. Nowadays, of course, there's a lot of disconnect and there's a lot of difference between some of these things that are going on and you could, you know, you could be part of CPP or part of whatever, you know, uh, social structure and uh, things like that without, you know, bowing down to an idol or worshiping an idol or anything in the literal sense. Uh, and so for us, it's a little bit different from what they literally had to go through. But I think there's still a spiritual connection and a spiritual lesson for us to learn in terms of how we interact with the ways of the world as well. And so if, if they didn't choose to be part of these unions, then they would be rejected. They would face social isolation. They would face economic hardships. And it was something that was very hard for them to, and it's a tough decision. If you were put in such a decision, if you were put in such a situation and you had to decide between your livelihood and stay faithful to Jesus, what would you do? If you were put into a situation where you had to compromise your Christian convictions and what God has spoken to you for maybe something that your employer is asking you to do, what would you do? And it's a tough thing. So let's get into this letter here. Uh, the revelation of Jesus first, we see from verse 18, it says, this is the message from the son of God, whose eyes are like, a flame, like flames of fire, whose feet are like uh, polished bronze. So eyes like a flame of fire speak about how God sees all things. There's nothing hidden from him. We can't hide anything from the Lord. He sees all. And so for this church, he was revealing himself as the God who sees all and knows all. And you don't need to hide anything from Jesus because he sees everything. In Hebrews 4, we read about this. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable, right? So God knows everything. There's, there's no use in us trying to hide something. He sees what we do publicly. He also sees what we do privately. And that's very important for us to understand. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, this can sound like a little bit of a fearful verse, right? What if I said, next slide I click is what you're thinking? What would you think? You'd be like, get, it, get me out of here. What if I said, next slide that I click, it's going to be a video of what you did last night? Would that be scary? Well, pu publicly people might not know, but Jesus sees everything. And that's what he's trying to tell the church here, Right? Now, he commends them for a number of, uh, for a number of good things as well. He, he says that they have a lot of good qualities, their love and their faith and their service and their patience and their works, and they were improving, right? So this was, you know, this church, you serve, packed out. They're ready, right? Like we're doing you serve after the service today. If this was church in Thyatira, everybody's packed out, 
right? They're ready to serve, right? It says here in verse 19, it says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I see your constant improvement in all of these things. So they weren't just satisfied with their faith. They weren't just satisfied with their love. They weren't just satisfied with their service, but they were continuing to improve. So the Lord commends them for this. So great, wonderful that, that this is happening in that church. However, he also rebukes them for something that is not good. And this is the rebuke. It says, but I have, a, I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. Now, the, the choice of the, the word here, Jezebel, it's an illusion. It's, it's pointing the church towards a woman from the Old Testament, and her name was, was Jezebel. Now, we don't know if the same woman in this particular church in Tyatira was also named Jezebel, but probably more likely it's just a, an image here that, um, that Jesus is using to refer back to the situation that happened in the Old Testament. And what happened in the Old Testament was there was a king named Ahab. And he was a king over Judah, and he actually married this woman, Jezebel. And unfortunately, Jezebel turned his heart away from God and towards worshiping idols and worshiping false gods, right? And so here in this letter, there's an allusion that's made to Jezebel in reference to sexual immorality, to eating food sacrifice, to idols. Now remember, like Paul says in some of his letters, you know, if, if somebody gives you some food sacrifice, else you can eat it with a good conscience. But if your conscience troubles you, then don't eat it. But when in Revelation, a couple of times we read this, this phrase about food sacrifice to idols, it's not just the act of... Uh, just the physical act of eating. The problem at that time was, was if they were eating food sacrificed to idols, it was a whole worship experience. Because they would come to the, to the temple, they would come to the idol, they would worship, they would eat together with everyone else. Uh, in as much as for us, some, uh, unfortunately because of COVID, we are not able to eat together as much as maybe we would like to uh, in this season. But fellowship and eating together is really a worship experience as well, where we commune one with another. The Bible says the early church, they broke bread or they shared bread together. They went from house to house and fellowship together. And in a similar way, this is what was happening there, is that it was a worship experience to eat together this food sacrifice to idols, where they would worship these false gods, these false idols, and then they would eat together. And, and, and the Lord is saying, look, you guys are doing that. And that's not good. You're compromising the, the word of God. You're compromising the standard of the Lord. And so, so in this church, there could have been a, an actual woman named Jezebel, or it could have been also just this, uh, or, or, or a woman that acted like Jezebel, or it could also be the spirit of Jezebel that was actually moving, that was influencing the people of God to forsake loyalty to God and turn and promote tolerance towards pagan practices, sexual immorality, uh, religious feasting, and all of these different things. It's, it was really a, 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 a taking away of that sincere worship towards the Lord and pointing people in the wrong direction. The, the spirit of Jezebel speaks about uh, a spirit of the world or a spirit of compromise that she uh, is causing people to turn away from the right ways uh, of the Lord and really corrupt Israel. And that's what happened when, when Jezebel literally lived, Jezebel the husband of Ahab, she caused the children of Israel to turn away from the living and true God and instead worship false gods like Baal and Ashtoreth. And, and she, she turned the children of Israel's hearts away from the living and true God. Now, 
God has called us to sanctification. Jesus has called us to sanctification and obtaining his very glory. But there are things that are working even within the church that are causing people to turn away from the living and true God and turn towards ungodliness, turn towards things that compromise the, the truth and sincerity and purity of God's word and, 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 and making compromise with things of the world. Now, remember about the trade guilds that I, that I talked to you about. So this woman, Jezebel, similar to the Old Testament Jezebel or the spirit of Jezebel, was probably telling people in the church in Tyatira, hey, look, it's okay to compromise. It's okay to worship these idols. It's okay. It's for your work. Look, everyone else is doing it. Just do it. It's for your livelihood. You have to put food on the table. You have to take care of your children. Don't worry. Just go ahead and compromise. It's okay. It's not that bad. Have you ever heard the phrase, Jesus knows your heart? Right? But that's what was happening. But these feasts were a worship experience. And so my question for us and for me as well, what are the areas that we're compromising on? What are the areas that we're taking some shortcuts? Maybe is it in our taxes because we want to save some money so we're, we're hiding some stuff away, we're not counting some things, we're, we're, we're doing some things that are unethical or bad, maybe we're cutting corners, maybe we're doing things, maybe our boss asks us to do something that's unethical or wrong and we just like, I don't want to lose my job so let me just go ahead and do that. And do we compromise what our convictions are and what the word of God says just so that we can fit into society, so that we can fit into culture. That's what was happening in the church in Tyatira. And there was a spirit of Jezebel that was, was enabling them, pushing them, uh, 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 helping them really to compromise in, in that way. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, uh, here even in Canada, there was a, we apply for the Canada Summer Jobs Grants, where, which we use to help in the summer times for our VBSs and hiring uh, summer students as well. And a, a couple of, and we do it every single year, and we're thankful for that. A couple of years ago, uh, Canada, the federal government changed some of those uh, rules around that, and we had to make some affirming statements uh, in order to be able to apply for that. And so we decided as a church, we're not going to do that that we said we can't, you know, if we lose, you know, tens and thousands of dollars, that's okay. And guess what? You guys stepped up, and when we made an appeal, you guys stepped up and gave, and we were still able to run our camps, and we were still able to do all of those things because you guys saw the burden and the need, and you stepped up, and you've given, uh, and we were able to continue on to be able to do that. But we made a decision to say, hey, we're going to stand by what God's word says, and we're not able to affirm these statements that we need to affirm. Now, they faced a lot of backlash because of that and changed things around, so then the following year, we were able to apply. Uh, without making any of those uh, statements that they were asking us to, to make. But it was, it's a tough decision to make. And we'll come across those things in the course of our life, and, and quite honestly, it's only going to get worse. And the question is, are we compromising our Christian convictions for what God's word says? The, the way of the world is in stark contrast to the ways in which God's kingdom works. Now, one of the most beautiful principles in God's word is to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and we try to do that. But how do we love our neighbor but still stay faithful to the word of God in certain ways? And there's a tension that's there as well that we have to deal with. Now, in the world, in culture today, uh, we were talking about this with our young adults on Friday, and in the world today, what does love mean? Love means just loving everybody without restriction, without any qualifiers and, you know, uh, lo love is everything like that. that that's the way that God is love. 
Well, let me tell you, when God says that he's love, that also comes with his rebuke, that also comes with his chastisement, that also comes with correction, that also comes with judgment, that's redemptive in nature. His correction is redemptive in nature because he wants to save us. His chastisement is redemptive in nature because he wants to bring us back to him. His judgment even now is redemptive in nature to open our eyes and for us to be able to see so that we can come back to him. Now that's love. But sometimes the way the word love is used now is just, I'm not going to say anything, you know, bad about this person. I'm not going to say anything negative. I'm just going to, you know, let them do whatever they want to do. But is that really love? Is that the way parents show love to their children? No. Right? It's love is is the the holistic sense of what, when, when John says in 1 John, God is love, the very definition of God That love is all-encompassing. That also includes correction, reproof, chastisement, and judgment, which we see when you read these letters to the churches. And so we need to be able to understand that. Love in the way that word is used in the world and culture today, in in many ways, it it was really based on what Christian love is from from centuries ago, right? To love your neighbor as yourself wasn't an ethic or moral in our world and society for, for hundreds and thousands of years, but because of Jesus Christ coming in and introducing this radical love, the world has accepted it, but now taking it to a place where it's disconnected from the gospel and disconnected from Jesus. And when it gets disconnected from the gospel and disconnected from Jesus, it takes on a new definition in which God really didn't intend it to be. William Wilberforce, who was one of the the champions of the Christian faith in England, trying to abolish uh, the the slave trade in England, and he was successful in passing uh, a bill in Parliament in England to abolish the slave trade. The only reason he did that was because of his Christian convictions. That was the foundation of it. And there's so many people, if you read, if you read in the early, uh, early church fathers, in the early centuries of the church, uh, some of the, the very prominent theologians were people that fought for rights for women and slaves and for, and for family values, and God calls us towards this as well. Not to compromise our convictions, not to compromise the word of God, but stand true for what the word of God says. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, but we ought to always, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this, called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has called us to this gospel. God has called us to sanctification. God has called us to sanctification through his spirit. Jezebel did so many evil things. If you go back, we don't have time to read all the verses, but if you go back to the book of First Kings, you read uh, uh, the story of Elijah and Mount Carmel. Some of you might know the story, but basically what happened was Elijah, who was a prophet of God, challenged the prophets of Baal and said, the first God that answers by fire, we'll know he's a living and true God. And so he went to Mount Carmel. He built this altar. The prophets of Baal came as well. They built their altar. No, the prophets of Baal got no answer. Elijah called to the living God and God answered by fire and proved that he was the living and true God. And do you know what happened after that? Jezebel found out because those were her people, the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Ashtoreth, they were her people. And so when she found out what happened, she sent a message to Elijah. And what did she tell Elijah? By this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. She wasn't messing around, right? 
She was systematically killing off the prophets of the Lord. That's what she was literally doing. First Kings 18 says, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah, one of the other prophets, had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. See, there was a lot that was going on at that time. Sadly, Ahab, who should have been a godly king, who should have followed the ways of the Lord because he was a king uh, of Judah, the, the, her, his wife Jezebel was doing all sorts of immoral things, all sorts of terrible things, killing off the prophets of the Lord, didn't want people worshiping the Lord, didn't want people following the Lord. She wanted people worshiping her gods. And it's the spirit of Jezebel that's causing the church to commit immorality, causing the church to leave the ways of the Lord and follow after another God, to leave the holy and right ways of God and follow after new doctrine and new teaching that takes people away from the Lord. It takes people into a, a friendship with the world. And, and James has some pretty hard words for us. Uh, James chapter four, he says this, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So, so what is the world that he's referring to here? He's talking about the, the systems of the world, the mentality of the world, uh, the, the me first attitude, the fight for your rights, the everything that's opposite to the cross and the way of Jesus and, and self-denial and laying down your life and following after the Lord and, and taking up your cross and doing the will of God. The, the world is completely contrary to those things. And when, when we set ourselves up on the opposite side, then we make ourselves an enemy of God, as James says here. John, in 1 John, as he writes, he says this. He says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but of the world. And, and we can be tempted and lured into these sort of uh, methods and means. We can be tempted into this pride of achievements and possessions. I want to make a name for myself. I want others to see how good and awesome I am. I want to ascend. I want to get greater and greater. Well, that's the opposite to the way of the cross. Where John the Baptist said, I have to decrease and he has to increase. And it's a total opposite message that happens. And there's a craving for physical pleasure. There's a, there's a craving for everything that we see that, that our eyes are lusting after, that our heart is running after. And it's going away from what God wants us to run to. God wants us to run in this direction towards him, to know Jesus and love Jesus and experience Jesus and experience the kingdom of God and experience all that he has for us to offer. And we're walking along in this direction instead and compromising with the world. And sadly, what happens is it because it just happens little by little, little by little, little by little, and we don't realize how far we've gone astray. There's a story, an illustration about cooking a frog. If you boil a, a pot of water and you dump a frog in there, that frog's gonna jump right out. But you put the frog in the water first and then you slowly increase the heat, little by little, little by little, then what happens? He's cooked. And that's the end of our friend the frog. When the federal income tax in the United States was signed into law in 1913, one of the senators stood up in opposition to the federal income tax law. Do you know what he said? He said, if we allow this 1% foot in the door, at some future date, it might rise to 5%. 
wonder if he was still alive, imagine what he would be thinking now. But what happened? You, you, let, the, you, you let the foot in the door, and then it, it, the, the, the compromise, it happens little by little. But friends, I, I want to encourage us as well that we have to live in the tension. We have to live in the world and balance this tension. God doesn't want us to be just completely separated and put apart from the world. Because God has called us to be lights in the world, the salt of the world. And so we have to live in this tension. In John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, he said this, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So what Jesus is praying here to his father, he's saying, Father, don't take them out of the world. I need them to be in the world, but Father, please help them to stay faithful to the truth. Help them to stay faithful to your word in the midst of being in the world. And that's the tension that we have to to navigate. And I wanna encourage everyone, if you can, to sign up for the Live Called event that's happening on November 6th. And in that Live Called event, it's run by the Missions Hub, and we're gonna do a watch party here and breakout rooms and lunch here as well. So I wanna encourage you, you need to sign up uh, there and sign up on our website. But how do you live missionally? How do you live within that tension? of being the salt of the world, being the light of the world, but still staying faithful to God's word? How do you live in that tension of being effective and living missionally in this world, but still staying faithful to God's word? And there's going to be a number of breakout rooms depending on what your profession is. So they have breakout rooms for arts and music, for engineering, for linguistics, for technology, for business entrepreneurs and finance, for healthcare, for uh, media marketing and communications, for education, for law, for social services, whatever your your education field is, they'll have uh, separate breakout rooms with speakers there to learn and to be able to navigate this season and this situation where how do we stay faithful in our professions in the world? This was a problem in the church in Thyatira. That because they, were, they had all these trade unions, they had all of these, uh, these, these guilds that they had to be a part of, but then now they're hearing something that they need to stay faithful with, and, and there was a class that was happening. I need to be part of these unions because it's part of my livelihood. It's, it's part of my, my safety net. But, but if I do that, then I'm in this worship experience that's taking me away from what God wants me to experience and know and have. And so what do I do in such a complex situation? And that's why this letter is written to encourage them to come out from that spirit of Jezebel and stay faithful and true to the Lord. Just as how Jezebel had hated the prophets of the Lord, when they spoke truth to her, the spirit of Jezebel is working as well to take us away from the truth of God's word. The spirit of Jezebel is out to seduce the people of God away from the right ways of the Lord. And God gave them time to repent, but it says here that she didn't repent. She didn't repent of her wicked ways. An example of this is Esau in the Old Testament. Esau was given a birthright. He had something amazing that was coming to him. But what did Esau do? In Hebrews 12, we won't take time to read it. You can read on your own. But Esau basically sold up his birthright and said, forget about this birthright. I just want some food. I'm compromising. Like, I'm not valuing what I have. And that's sadly the situation here. We don't value the awesomeness and amazingness of Jesus and who he is and what he brings to our lives and how he changes us and transforms us and blesses us and works in us in so many amazing and wonderful ways. We don't value that and therefore we don't run to it. Instead, we're running opposite 
to that because the allure of the world is drawing us in. And the passions of the world is drawing us in. And the temptations of the world is drawing us in. And the culture of the world is drawing us in. In Revelation 2, Jesus speaks some hard, hard words to this church. He says, therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. In verse 23, he says, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. See, he says here, this goes back to the revelation of Jesus, his eyes like a flame of fire. And he's saying, I see and I know, I know even the thoughts and intents of your heart. You know, sometimes we might say, has anyone ever said this before? I know I said, God knows my heart. Anyone said that before? God knows my heart. That's a, that, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult statement to make because you know what the Bible also says about your heart? Look here, Mark 7. For from within out of the person's heart comes, what? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, and that's probably the short list. So next time you tell the Lord, Lord, you know my heart, he'll be like, yeah, I know your heart. You need some help. Repent, right? Because Jeremiah says it in the Old Testament. He says, our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Desperately wicked, who can know it? And that's why in this series, God is calling us to listen to the Spirit. Hear what God is saying to you personally. Hear what God is saying to us as a church. And he calls us to repentance knowing the wickedness of our heart, knowing the way we so easily stray, knowing the way that we so easily turn away from devotion to God and turn to other things, let's repent. Let's turn to the Lord. Let's seek after the Lord. In Revelation 2, verses 24 and 25, he talks about this. He says, he said there were a few that actually stayed faithful to the message. He says, I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until you come. There were some that were going away, but there were some that were staying faithful and the Lord wanted to encourage those faithful ones and said, I see, I know that you are staying faithful. And in Hebrews, he tells us the same thing. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Here's the key. As we live within this tension, of living in the world but staying faithful to the Lord, being the light of the world because of what Jesus has done for us and being faithful to God's word and to his scriptures. Here it says, let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let's be the people that love others. Let's be the people that share the love of Jesus, but connect it with Jesus, not, not when it's disconnected. And the reward, finally, of, uh, for this church is that they were going to be given authority to rule over the nations. They were going to be given responsibility in, in his kingdom. Now, this is the sad thing about King Ahab, Ahab and Jezebel. In the Old Testament, we read here, but Ahab, the son of Omri, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, even more than any of the kings before him. So this was Jezebel's husband. 
who should have been a godly king, who should have led Israel in the ways of the Lord, who should have taught Israel to be obedient to the Lord. Instead, he's leading people away from God. And a couple of verses later, he says, first Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. That's a rough statement. But the promise to the overcomers you get to actually have Ahab's authority to rule. God gave Ahab authority to rule as king. Unfortunately, he misused it. Unfortunately, he was not a good leader. Unfortunately, he didn't value what God had given to him. And so for the church in Thyatira, he tells them, he said, I'm giving you authority for those that are victorious, for those that are overcoming. And the second thing is even more amazing. Forget about the first one. The second one is even more amazing, is that he's going to give them the morning star. And in Revelation 22, verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message to the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. That was a promise to this church in Thyatira. He said, those that are faithful, those that overcome, those that are victorious, I'm going to give them the morning star. What he was basically saying is, you overcome, you are victorious, I'm going to give you me. Is there anything better? Is there anything better, more wonderful that God can give us than Jesus? And that's the promise to this church, is that he gives himself to this church completely and fully and unreservedly. This is the reward to this church. I'll ask the musicians and singers to come up. And I just want to close with the story of a man named uh, Desmond Doss. Anyone here heard of Desmond Doss before? There was a documentary made about him in 2004 called The Conscientious Objector. And then a, a, some years later, in 2016, there was a movie made about him called Hacksaw Ridge. Some of you might have seen that now. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see now some nods, right? Some of you might have seen that movie. It's a little gruesome, so watch out if you want to go and see it. But it's a very moving story about Doss and how he didn't want to carry a firearm, how he didn't want to kill anybody, but yet he enrolled in the army. Make sense of that, right? He didn't want to kill anyone. He was a conscientious objector. He was even given an opportunity not to go into the army, but he didn't take it, and he went into the army anyway. And when he went into the army, he was ridiculed. He faced opposition. He faced hardships because he was a conscientious objector and didn't want to fire an, uh, a gun and didn't want to kill anybody. So he became a, a combat medic because he wanted to help people instead of harm people. He was awarded the Bronze Star Medal twice for heroic achievement in the combat field in Guam in the Philippines. In World War II, probably the most famous battle that he's known for is the Battle of Okinawa. He was the only conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor which is the highest and most prestigious award given to a military officer for acts of valor, and it was presented to him by President Truman. And it's estimated that he saved between 50 to 100 people in that battle. See, he lived within that tension of being in the military, but being a conscientious objector, facing ridicule from the people around him initially, and later on he won their respect. But he lived in that tension. Friends, people of God, can we live within that tension? We're not trying to disconnect ourselves completely from the world and, and no opportunity to share the love of Jesus. 
But God calls us to be in the world and live within that tension to stay faithful to his word, which will take sacrifice and commitment and maybe ridicule and hardships from people around us. But he calls us to stay faithful to his word. And the only way we can do this is through Jesus because he's our hope. The only way we can, and that's why he promises to this church, I'm going to give you the morning star, I'm going to give you myself. It's only through Jesus. Let's stand today and let's sing to the Lord. And as we sing this song, Jesus, hope of the nations, let's remember that we can only do this through Jesus. We can only live in this tension. We can only live in this way by staying faithful to God's word, but effective in this world by living in that 